As I was thinking about the last chapter of Daniel and uh, thinking about even the, the end of the story for us, uh, I, I was struck by how much we love a good ending, right? And, and what has happened to Hollywood the last 10, 15 years? You guys get it. I mean, what happened to a good ending? Why has Hollywood kind of given up on the idea of, and they lived happily ever after? Don't you just love that when it ends on a, yes, that's right, the, the, the conflict has been finished um, the, the, the man comes to rescue the damsel in distress and they ride off together on a white horse into the sunset and they live happily ever after. Why do we love a good ending? What is it about the happily ever after that strikes a chord for us? Well, I would support, uh, I would, I'd purport to tell you that it's, it's actually pointing to the greatest story ever told. And it's a story, my friends, of which we are a part. We are, we are in this story. And let me tell you how it ends. It ends with this. And they lived happily ever after. That's the reason we love it. It's written on our hearts. We're in this story. And my friends, because of Jesus, it is indeed how the story ends for us. Amazingly, we're going to see in Daniel chapter 12, it's how the book of Daniel ends as well. And I want to walk through together with you these verses. Happily Ever After is the sermon title. I will say this, it doesn't start that way. It ends that way. But until uh, that day comes, my goodness, there is war and rumors of wars and conflict and great distress and turmoil. That's where we begin in verse 1. Uh, 1A is what I'm calling unprecedented turmoil. We, th- we see what's happening even right now in Israel, and yet we know that there are years to come that will make what they're experiencing now pale in comparison. Far, far worse is yet to come. This is where we pick up the angel, this warrior angel, intimidating and huge has been telling Daniel the vision of prophecy as it relates to not only the history that we covered last week, but also the end of days after the Antichrist is defeated. And uh, here's the, the finishing verses of that. He says to Daniel, At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. So you think when God told Abraham, I choose you and I am going to make you into a nation. Since that took place, there is a suffering ordained by God for his chosen people, Israel, that has never reached such turmoil, such trouble as is coming at the very end. Now, seven years of tribulation, we know, it kicks off first the rapture, and then it, it fires off seven years of tribulation. The second half of that is referred to as the great tribulation. It's the final three and a half years before the return of Christ and the, uh, and the putting down of the Antichrist. Let me just read, for, the, for those who went through our Revelation study a few years ago, you remember this just incredible wave after wave after wave of destruction. Um, This is what John MacArthur said of those days. It's It's a great summary. 
from Revelation 6 through Revelation 19, you have the details of that period of time, that great tribulation, the last three and a half years of Daniel's 70th week. There is war, famine, 25% of the world is killed, the collapse of the heavenly bodies, one-third of the earth destroyed, one-third of the sea destroyed, the creatures in it and the ships on it, one-third of fresh water and many multitudes of people who drink it are destroyed, one-third of the skylights, the stars, the release of hell's demons to overrun the earth. Now, what we We've got to appreciate here is there is a a casting by Michael of Satan and his host out of heaven down to the earth for the final days. And that turning loose is unbelievable horror and, and attack focused on the people of God who carry the name of Christ and the Jews who at this point are experiencing massive revival that's taking place all around the world. Loads of people are coming to Christ and targeted by Satan and his demons and being slain day after day. The slaughtering of the beast and the false prophet consummates their evil. Vile ministry goes on during that time. Body soars all over men. Everyone who is on the sea and all living creatures in the sea are killed. Now just imagine what that would be like. Think of the stench of all the fish and all of the creatures in the sea, dead. All fresh water will be polluted. Scorching sunlight will burn people to death. Darkness will cover the earth. Pain, sores, more demons. It just goes like that from Revelation 6 all the way through Revelation 19. That's what comes upon the earth in general, but in addition to that, God allows the Antichrist to oppress Israel in a final act of purging. It's an incredible time of suffering, and uh, that's in addition to all the stuff that God is directly involved with. He is um, overseeing all of this uh, judgment and tribulation, but Satan is released within that to do horrible things. Evil reaches its apex. The whole course of the world and all of its history have been outlined in Scripture to move toward a holocaust that no one in history has ever perceived before. You think of the dark days of Hitler. That is but a foreshadowing of the kind of murderous um, holocaust that is going to unfold in the final three and a half years as we know it on this earth. This is a time ordained, spoken of, And this is what I think the angel is directing Daniel to be aware of. It's coming. It gets way, way worse before it gets better. It says, though, at that time, Michael, the great prince of God's people, will arise. And there's a special work that he uh, is used to accomplish, a a work of deliverance and protection. Okay, So one of the questions we ask is, is, how does that look? What does it look like? Well, the second half of verse 1, predestined triumph. So unprecedented um, trouble and, uh, and turmoil. And the second half then is predestined triumph. But at that time your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. Now, let's take the second half of this first. What is this book? 
what, what is it, who are these people who have their names written in the book? Note this, it's not just a generic thing. This isn't just a, a, a net thrown over just randomly. These are people, individuals with their actual names written in this book. What is this book? Well, it is the Lamb's book of life, and the names recorded in this book are the elect of God. Now, if election is something new to you, um, that's actually quite common. Even in this county, believe it or not, there are many churches that will completely avoid this topic because they don't want to be divisive, and it's, it's a hard doctrine to understand, and so they'll, they'll minimize it, they'll try to explain it away, or they'll avoid it altogether. I've talked to many folks who've come to our church, and they're like, I've, I've never heard the doctrine of election preached. Friends, it is all over the Bible. It is in the Old Testament, and it is all through the New Testament. Here is one glimpse into the electing work of God as it relates to the book of life, or the Lamb's book of life. A few other cross-references on this. If anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That's at the end of time, right? So, those who are not written in the book of life have a certain and uh, established future in hell, in the lake of fire. That is where all of us should be. Just let's be clear, right? God is not turning people away who otherwise would be saved, and he's like, well, but you're, <laughs> you're not in the book. Sorry. Too bad for you. No. He is looking upon a sea of sinners, all running with breakneck speed, left to ourselves, to the fires of hell, and he's saying, I save you, I save you, I save you, I save you, and I protect you, I shield you, I redeem you through my son's blood accomplished on the, Christ, uh, on the cross. Revelation 21, 26, and 27, they, that is, believers who are saved by Christ, will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life, speaking about heaven, right? And the new heavens and the new earth, the new Jerusalem. So the question then is, is when did the Father choose those whom He would save, and when did these names get written in this book? When did this take place? A lot of times people are like, well, God looks and He sees what we're going to do, or he, he kind of makes a way and then He sees, oh, that person saved themselves, I'll write their name in the book. No, that's not how it goes. Look at these verses. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He, we're talking about God the Father, chose us in Him, God the Son, Jesus Christ. When did He choose? Before the foundation of the world. That's amazing. He chose before the words, let there be light, were spoken, he had already chosen to redeem sinners and rebels like us through faith in His Son that we should be holy and blameless before Him. What is His aim point in election? Purity, holiness, redemption. In love, He assigned the destiny of adoption, right? He predestined. He assigned our destiny beforehand 
before the foundations of the world. He assigned our destiny, that is, that we would be adopted as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. This is His glory set on display. So who chose? The Father chose. How did He accomplish it? Through the Son. How is the gospel applied to sinners? Through the Spirit. It is a Trinitarian wonder of salvation. Revelation 13.8 Also it, that is the Antichrist, the beast, was allowed to make war on the saints and conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it. That is, everyone whose name has not been written Note the time here. Before the foundation of the world, in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. Who did Jesus die to save specifically? His blood atoning for? That is all who believe. Who is the all who will believe? That is the elect, the chosen of God, whose names have been written from eternity past. In the Lamb's book of life, that is the Lamb who was slain, only a God who is outside of time can pin a book to save sinners who don't exist through a Savior who is yet to be sent to pay for the actual sins of these sinners whose names are written in this book. This is our God. This is a great salvation He brings to all who believe. All who believe. Hmm. What an amazing book it is. What kind of deliverance is given to these whose names are in this book? Well, two kinds of deliverance are in view at the end of the seven years of tribulation. Okay, Two different kinds of deliverance. One is pretty incredible. There are 144,000 of Israel, 12,000 from each tribe. These are recorded in Revelation chapter 7, who are saved by faith in Christ, powerfully, supernaturally, sovereignly saved, and they are sealed, it says. That is, given a special protection from the Antichrist in the turmoil of the times, and they are, as it were, kind of a first fruits of Israel of salvation. And what do they do? Well, They are the witness because guess what? The church is gone. We have been raptured. So the witness of the gospel to the ends of the earth in post-rapture tribulation days are saved Jews who have come to faith in Jesus Christ as Messiah. And guess what? You'll have to read it. I don't have time this morning. Read Revelation chapter 7 and note how many are saved. Through their witness, I'm not just talking the nation of Israel. I am talking some from every nation, tribe, and tongue. All around the world they go to shine bright in dark times and hold out hope to rebels and sinners the world over. That is one kind of deliverance. And I think these are brought through safely to the end, such as that they survive the tribulation in their bodies. They are alive, physically all the way to the end, to enter then into the thousand-year reign physically alive. There will be some Gentiles as well who, as they walk with Christ, enter in as well. So some are entering into the thousand-year reign in their physical bodies, but probably most are killed during these times. 
It's a different kind of deliverance that's in view for those who die. Let's go there. Everlasting joy or everlasting fire. Everlasting joy or everlasting fire. Verse 2. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Now, this is amazing. This speaks of a future resurrection that is to come. Not to be confused with rapture, this is at the return of Christ, there are graves broken open and tribulation saints who died in this seven-year just horrible reign of terror, they are raised to life. Believers, that is, okay? Now, what Daniel can't see as the angel confers this message to him is that between the first part of verse 2 and the last part of verse 2 is a thousand years, Okay, this is that prophetic mountain peak experience. We know from Revelation that there is a, a two different resurrections in view. One is the raising of tribulation saints, believers, and another, after 1,000 years, is the raising of all unbelievers to stand before the great white throne. Let me lay this out for you so you can see the sequence. I, I got to tell you this. I have never been more convinced of a pre-tribulation rapture and a premillennial reign of Christ, followed by a great white throne judgment. These things are clear, all the more clear, even in the book of Daniel. So a prophetic overview of what we see in Scripture coming our way. We are currently part of the story in the church age. That will be finished, culminated in a rapture of God's people, the church. That is all who believe, whether they be Jews whether they be Gentiles, everyone who names the name of Christ will be taken up, raptured. And that also includes those who have died in faith. After that, seven years of tribulation, at the end of that, the Lord Jesus Christ returns, and there is a resurrection that takes place right there of believers. And then 1,000 years go by, and at the end of that, there's another resurrection of all the unsaved throughout all of time, and they will be judged and cast into the fires of hell. Okay? Let me walk you through, step by step, a reference for each of these in sequence. So the rapture of all believers. That includes, by the way, all Old Testament believers in the Messiah who anticipated His arrival and His finished work in their faith, sacrificing and honoring and obeying the Lord and walking in faith with Him, and all New Testament believers who celebrate His finished work to that point. The rapture of all believers. Listen to this. Paul says, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 15. For we declare this to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and the voice of an archangel. Who's that? Michael. And the sound of the trumpet of God. And listen, the dead in Christ will rise first. I share this at nearly every graveside service. We stand over the grave of one who has trusted Christ. And I say with absolute confidence, this is not the final word for this person. There is coming a day when the clouds will be peeled back and Christ will come. And this body right here will be raised to be reunited with the soul of that believer. Bam! Instantly glorified. 
The dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive, if the Lord were to return today, we would, we would be here when graves just blow open all over the county. And then we start poking holes in the ceiling because we're going too. But they beat us. and They go first and then up we go. We who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we will always be with the Lord. Now, why does that not fit at the end of the seven-year tribulation? Because there are believers in Christ who live through the tribulation, who go into the millennial reign in physical bodies. Otherwise, there would be no children born, right, in the, in the millennial reign. We would all be glorified, and there would be no final uprising of Gog and Magog at the end of the thousand years. So there, there has to be a distinction between these two things. First is rapture. And by God's grace, through Jesus Christ, we're going to fly that day. Whether we are dead in Him, believing, or falling asleep, as it were, or alive when He returns. All believers, Old Testament and New raised imperishable now the second resurrection is the resurrection of the fallen tribulation believers as i'm saying that's i think what's in view here as daniel receives these words that those who fell during the tribulation time are raised and massive numbers of jews and gentiles will fall into this category huge turmoil and targeting of believers This is how Revelation chapter 20, verses 4 and 5 build this out. I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom authority to judge was committed. I also saw the souls of those who had been beheaded beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image. You see, we're located now. We we are in tribulation days. This, This gives us a sense of footing as to when this is happening. They had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands, They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. This builds out what Daniel has just been told. Souls brought together once again with bodies that have been buried or those who've fallen asleep in faith during tribulation days, reunited and glorified in this moment. Note this now. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. We know exactly where we are in future times. This is the moment when Christ returns and the believers are raised who died in the tribulation. Those who are alive on the earth believing are not caught up in this moment. They continue on in physical bodies into the thousand-year reign. What about the unbelievers? Well, in Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, it seems like it happens all at once. But 1,000 years take place because it says the rest of the dead, that is, unbelieving dead, did not come to life until the 1,000 years were ended. Okay? So at the end of this 1,000-year reign, there is a resurrection of unbelievers, and this is all those who have died at any point in time who are apart from Christ. All those who died who said, no, I'm not interested in a Savior. I'm going to live for myself and I am going to die that way, there will be a reckoning for everyone in the flesh, not just the soul. The souls of those who die apart from Christ are in a place of torment. 
They are in, in a place of, of, of hell, as it were, as it's described. And there will be a day where they will be raised, soul and body together, and cast into the lake of fire. Revelation 20, 11 and 12. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. I saw the dead, great and small, that is, that is those who were important in this world and those who were seemingly insignificant in this world. They were raised and they were to stand before the throne to give an account. And the books were opened. Now, these books are different than the book of life. We're going to see that just below. These books are the, the deeds. Everything you've done in the flesh, recorded. Every sin ever committed. Every disobedience. Every transgression. And it is the judge and jury and execution time. The, the judgment is pronounced. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead and all that were in it. Death and Hades, that is, those who were currently in hell, it gave up the dead and who, those who were in them and they were judged, each one according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. The lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of of fire. Now, there are some who try to stay away from hellfire and brimstone, as if somehow it's loving to avoid these topics. Friends, that is not loving. It's not loving. If you are not warning people that you know and love and care about of the future fires of hell, it, it won't end. Then speak up. Be bold in love. Point out how real this is. Oh, how, how easy it is to live in this life and be like, oh, whatever, all that stuff. I'm not even going to think about it. No, you need to think about it. You know that Jesus had more to say about hell than anyone in the Bible? By a long shot. Why? Love. Love. Everlasting life or everlasting punishment. I had a guy about a month and a half ago catch me after church and really beat me up, and he's telling me that hell was not forever. He was an annihilationist. He didn't believe that a good God could punish sinners in hell forever. And, you know, I get the idea is, well, God is loving and kind and gracious. Yes, He is. He's also just and infinitely so. And He's a God of wrath upon all who rebel against Him. And I just kept going back to verse after verse, and he's like, no, 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 it can't be. It, can't. it is. It is. It's everlasting. Look at Daniel chapter 12. Look at the words in these verses. Everlasting life or everlasting shame and contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the sun, verse 3, of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like stars, how long? Forever and ever. One of the things you've got to understand is these words are the same. It's describing heaven and hell. So if you say, well, hell can't be forever, you have to say 
neither can heaven. And there is absolutely nothing in the Bible that says either. They are everlasting. Oh, this is good motivation, friends. This is a future for all who believe. You know, we are evangelical Christians. It means we care about those who are lost. We evangelize. We speak the words of the gospel to those, even those who don't want to hear it because we care. And it says the future for those who do so will be to shine like stars forever. This is motivation for evangelism and missions. What about for those who are raised to go to fire? Jesus said this in Matthew 25, these will go away into, how long? Eternal punishment. It means it doesn't end. It lasts forever. And it's what? It's active. It's not just, don't, don't fall for this thing. Oh, we're just over somewhere in the dark, isolated and far away from God. That's not even near as bad as it is. It's far worse than that. The lake of fire is the presence of God in all the ways you would long for Him not to be present. In wrath and justice, in retribution, in fury, it says. Yes, you'll be separated from Him in all the ways you wish He would be present. If your eye causes you to sin, Jesus lovingly says, Tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown in hell. Okay, now he's not talking about mutilation. He's talking about go to war with sin. Go to war with sin. Because hell is the place where the worm does not die. That is, that is torment. Like you're being eaten by worms forever. And the fire is not quenched. It never goes out. Like you're burning in the flesh. This isn't just soul stuff. This is physical pain and agony forever. That's Jesus talking. Don't play light with eternal judgment. It is not loving, nor is it kind. We warn because we care. And we speak faithfully because the word is clear. I tried to tell the man that he was wrong. Hell is indeed forever. He wouldn't hear it. And I told him, well, I don't think this is the church you're going to enjoy then. Because the Bible is going to be preached. This, this word is clear. Even in Daniel, it's clear. But you, Daniel, the angel says in verse 4, Shut up or, or seal up this book. Preserve it. Keep it. It's important that this book be taken care and, and brought forward until the time of the end. And then he says this, Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Now, these are kind of cryptic words. Like, what does that mean? How do we understand this? The best of my understanding, this is what he's saying. There is a special role for the book of Daniel that is coming. God has ordained His Word. He preserves His Word. And He did so, in this case, through the pen of Daniel who, who inscribed these, these things and preserved them such that when the church is taken out, raptured up, and the witness is, is gone, people are going to freak out. What's going on? What do we do? Where do we turn? And they will look to the book of Daniel. 
and they will look to the book of Revelation. And they will read Matthew 24. And they will stand in awe of the absolutely precise prophetic predictions being fulfilled in their time. And God will use those books in those days powerfully to bring about redemption. Hmm. Matthew 24, a sermon like this cannot go without a passage from Matthew 24. Here's some verses from Matthew 24 as Jesus talks about these times we're studying today. Jesus answered them and said, See to it that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Messiah, I'm the Christ. And they will lead many astray, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Right? Turn on the news. See to it that you are not alarmed. Don't be alarmed, Christians. Don't be alarmed. For this must take place, but the end is not yet. We're not there yet. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning. It's just beginning the birth pains. And they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Verse 10, then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because of lawlessness, will, uh, because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Oh, the love of many will grow cold. You know that they're handing out candy in the Gaza Strip and in Lebanon. There's ladies handing out candy to any passerby to celebrate the spilling of Jewish blood. Eat candy. You celebrate it. We just killed 600 civilians, slaughtered them. It gets worse. The love of many will grow cold. It will get so intense that the purging, even of those who carry the name of Christ, will be intense, and there will be some who say, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. And it's revealed that they are not true believers. They walk away. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed through the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. I disagree with those who think we can speed this up. We don't know hearts. We don't know souls. What is our mission? Go to the ends of the earth, right? And we want to be aggressive with that. But we don't hasten the coming of the Lord. The day is appointed. Only he knows when it's going to happen. So what is our mission? Be faithful. Preach. But trust him to do what he, only he can do. Jesus goes on. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, okay, Jesus knew the book of Daniel. He probably had it memorized verse for verse. Verse for verse. When you see this take place, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. It goes on from there. Let me skip down to verse 21. For there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning until the, of the world until now, and nor will ever be. Now, that's Daniel, right? We're talking the great tribulation. Verse 29. Immediately... 
After the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give light, the stars will fall from the heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his chosen, his elect, from the four winds. That is from every corner of the earth, all around the globe. From one end of heaven to another. It's coming. It's coming. We're not there yet. Don't worry. You didn't miss it. You didn't miss it. Some people think this is heaven. Oh, man, it's not heaven. We are not even close to there yet. Now, resurrection hope. The bulk of Daniel is finished. There's some housekeeping that finishes up. It's questions about timing and, and different things. Kind of a reassurance of Daniel here at the end. So I'll move quicker through these. But th- these are just beautiful verses. Verse 5. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, two other angels stood on this bank of the stream and on the other bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters, this is the angel, the the warrior angel who's been speaking to Daniel, well, how long will it be to the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and a half a time. That's three and a half years. And that when the shattering of the, of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. This is the great tribulation, the final three and a half years of the world as we know it. I heard, but I did not understand, Daniel says. Then I said, O oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And the angel responds to Daniel, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. Who is it that is described as wise? The elect. No one has ever been saved who didn't first have their name written in the Lamb's book of life. And no one will ever be saved whose name is not found written before the foundations in the Lamb's book of life. So the contrast here between the wise and the wicked. Now this is not, don't, don't, don't miss this, this is not a contrast of somehow smarter people are saved and, 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 and the other. No, it's not, it's not intelligence that's in view. It is those who are wise into salvation by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Period. The wicked are going to continue in wickedness, and as these things unfold, they are going to grind their teeth and lean all the more into wickedness. But those that God has chosen will turn in repentance and be refined through the purging of trial, and they will run to Jesus and lay their lives down if need be to hold fast to Him. And from that time, the regular burnt offering is taken away, and the abomination that makes desolate is set up. There shall be 1,290 days. That's three and a half years. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at 1,335 days. And all of a sudden, we're like, what? What is that? Good question. There's a 45-day gap 
it seems, between the return of Christ, the finishing of the three-and-a-half-year tribulation, and the inauguration or the, the, the start of the thousand-year reign. So 45 days of patience and trust and confidence in Christ and a special blessing that is there. I don't know what else to say beyond that. There's a lot of mystery in these words. We reach the edge of Revelation. And then the final verse of Daniel, this is beautiful. Listen to the love, the care, the ministration of this angel to Daniel. He says to Daniel, but go your way till the end. And you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. What a great word. It's as if he says to Daniel, persevere in faith, Daniel. Don't give up. Now, Daniel at this point is in his mid-80s to to 90. He might even be 90 years old at this point. Though you die, Daniel, you will rise. You will rise in the flesh with your body. This perishable body will put on the imperishable. This mortal will put on immortality. And you will stand in the land that has been promised and you will live happily ever after. We're going to be there with Him. We're going to walk this earth remade for wonder forever with a man who walked by faith in Christ. Response this morning. I love Romans 10. Romans 10 helps us understand that though this has such a Jewish emphasis in Daniel, it is not... Only the Jews that are in view. Listen to Romans 10. Everyone who believes in Him, that is Jesus, the Messiah, will not be put to shame. Everyone who believes. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek in this matter. Now, does that mean that there is no Jew or Greek? No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying there's no distinction. There's not one way for the Jews and another way for the Gentiles. There is one Savior of one people of God. For the same Lord is Lord of all, and He bestows His riches on all who call upon Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls. Who are those who call? They are those whose names have been written before time. What an amazing promise. Happily ever after, or hell ever after. This is the difference, friends. It's stark, and it's clear. And my call to you today is, where do you stand with this Savior? Where do you stand with this Messiah? Because heaven or hell, that's what's on the line. I'm not just talking this short life. Yes, life in this world through Christ is incredible. It's It's a treasure beyond treasures. But this life is short, And there is coming a life without end where you face either eternal fire for the sins you've committed in the flesh or eternal bliss and joy in the flesh on a newly created heaven and earth with a Jesus face to face. If you have yet to turn from your sins and run to Him by faith and say, Save me, Jesus! I turn away from my sins. I repent. I don't want that darkness anymore. I want light and life 
and joy and that eternally in you. Today, you can be saved. The door is open, my friends, today. Don't wait. Run to Him and be saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we celebrate this amazing salvation that You have bestowed lavishly upon people like us who do not deserve it. We are those who would, left to ourselves, run with all our might to the unending fires of hell and receive from you what we rightly deserve, which is justice and wrath and fury and punishment forever. Yet, in your kindness, you have made a way for people like us to be saved from our sins, to be set free, to live in obedience to you and to walk in the light as you are in the light. Lord, this world is evil. Left to ourselves, we are part of that. We are all that much part of that. That darkness is not only out there as we turn on the news, it's in here, in our hearts. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for providing a way for people like us to experience the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, open eyes. Soften hearts. Bring salvation today. We celebrate the future promise to Daniel that is ours by faith as well. And we long for the day when we will be together. Until that day comes, Lord, find us faithful to speak and point and proclaim this good news to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.